good morning. Thank you for joining us for the English Sunday School class today. I will, by way of review, just cover the fact that last week in the first uh, lesson on biblical creation, we talked about the concepts of creationism and evolutionism. We discussed terms and defined those terms, and we will use those terms throughout the course of this series. Um, we did also discuss briefly the seven C's of history that I passed around the, um, the answers in Genesis uh, portrayal of the history of the Bible as it relates to um, their studies. They have entire studies that branch off from that. But mostly for this, being that it is biblical creationism, we will focus on the first three C's, creation, corruption, and catastrophe. And so that covers basically the beginning of Genesis where God created everything, man sinned and fell, and then that sin was eventually judged by God in the flood, right? So because those three are the most important to creation science, that's where we're going to, to focus mostly for this study. We'll see how it branches out over time. Um, everyone in the world has an overall perspective from which they view the world and by which they interpret life. This is called a worldview. Okay? How you view the world is your worldview. How, you, how you, well you can trust your worldview is based on the foundation of that worldview. If your worldview is based on something that is shifty, then your worldview is shifty. My worldview is based on the Bible. Amen. And that means I have a biblical worldview. And I can try to portray that or uh, explain that as concisely yet completely as possible. I believe the Bible. The Bible tells me that there is a God that about 6,000 years ago, He created everything out of nothing. By His Word, in six literal 24-hour days, man was the last and greatest of His creation, but man disobeyed and brought death into the creation. About 4,400 years ago, that sin was judged by God in a global cataclysmic flood that wiped out all of creation except for a chosen family and a select group of animals to be able to repopulate the world. They again disobeyed, and God had to confuse their language to force them to spread out, replenish the earth as he had planned. And the diversity required to do that was already programmed into their DNA. We'll talk about that in another time. But sin continued even after that. And about 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son as a once-for-all perfect sacrifice to not only atone for our sins, but to remit them forever. That those who believe on Him, that's Jesus Christ, unto salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, will be, their, be with their Creator God for all eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. That is a short way of saying that I believe the Bible, right? And that's my worldview, how I see and interpret everything else is based on that. That is my foundation. So coming from that perspective, 
if I believe the Bible, then I can use the Bible to defend what I believe. Those who don't believe the Bible refuse to allow the Bible to be used as a defense for anything. Uh, today we're going to start the process of looking at evidences for creation, for biblical creationism, as it relates to the biblical worldview. Right? We're going to take the first step and look back. We're calling this lesson Look Back, if you can see at the top there, at the verses that God has providentially left us in the canon of Scripture that refer to his original creative works or his complete control over his creation. And the blanks there, what the way I like to refer to this is, I think I put that on there, that he, um, he made and he maintains. Nope, I didn't put it in there. I took it out. Sorry. But you can write it under uh, the top if you want. The two things we're focusing on is that as Pastor preached, or, uh, prayed earlier, God didn't just set a timer and let it go. He is intimately involved in every single moment of, of from creation to the consummation at the end. He controls all of it. So God is completely in control of his creation, and we're going to see lots of verses that speak to that. But, like I said, the, you can look at the beginning of Genesis to what God made, as it's already complete. But you look through the rest of the Bible at what God maintains. Because he is completely, integrally involved in all that is going on. So, we'll start here with the evidence from Scripture. Though, as I said, there will be um, those who want to say that the Bible cannot be used to support our belief system. Um, and again, as I brought up earlier and last week, if you believe creation or you believe evolution, you still believe because neither can be proven. At some point, you have to have a presupposition, you have to have a belief of something you cannot go back and look at a record of, and you cannot go back and reproduce. Okay? So there has to be, as far as the origins of science, the, the origin science goes, it has to be based on a belief. You either believe God or you don't believe God. In the beginning, God or in the beginning, nothing. Since those will, some will scoff at the idea, um, I want to reiterate that the Bible can absolutely be used as evidence for Scripture, and ev evidence for creation, I'm sorry. The Bible is often referred to as just a religious book, but it contains more verifiable information on history, science, philosophy, medicine, economics, government, and several other topics than any other book in existence, than any other single book in existence. I've printed an article for you to take home and read later that deals with the subject of whether or not the Bible can be used as evidence for creation. It's from the Institute for Creation Research. Of the several different online resources for creation, um, they are one of the more scientific. They're a little more like college level discussions. Um, all of the uh, multiple PhD pro um, professors and scientists that uh, are on their staff are very, very adept in the science. Lots of peer-reviewed work over a long career. And if you want to go down deep and stay down long in studying creation with, spe with specificity and, um, and lots of scientific jargon, right? that's, that's a, a great resource. Other resources like Creation Today or um, Answers in Genesis, 
try to break it down into layman's terms more. There are a lot, some of it even directed to children. So they try to simplify the science to make it more understandable for people who don't have that level of scientific acumen. But that's a great article to read later that gives you just some good points about why the Bible can be used for evidence of creation. Obviously, if we're going to look at evidences from Scripture, we should start at the beginning. The first place to start, this is your first blank there if you want to fill it in. Now, do you have a pen, brother? Do you need a pen? Do you need a pen? All right, come on. Thank you. So 
the Bible, no, I'm sorry, yeah, he created the heaven and the earth, that's space and matter in the letter C. And then letter D, the Bible assumes God's existence because it just says, in the beginning, God. It introduces God. Sorry, God is simply introduced because the rest of the verse is presented as a matter of fact. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, presented as a matter of fact. No questions, no explanations, no debate, just the introduction that assumes that God exists and that he created. This week, I'd like you to read Genesis chapter 1 through 3. If I sit here and read Genesis chapter 1 through 3, we're going to have five minutes to try to complete this lesson. There is so much about the creation account, and you could read it over and over every day, right, and see something new, and see something new, and see something new. But I, and that's what I would like, is, to, is for everyone to um, read through Genesis 1 through 3 and start making notes of things that you notice that you didn't notice before, or making notes of questions that it brings up in your mind. Well, why does it say this here if it says this here? And why does it use this word instead of this word, right? Those kind of questions lead us in how we can direct this study because the whole point is to be able to believe biblical creation and to defend biblical creation. So we'll move past Genesis 1 through 3, which is where the brunt of all of our study is going to be, to show that there are other scriptures in the Bible that speak to creation, what God made, or what he maintains, his creation, right? The act of creation and the noun, his creation. Okay, so the general verses that we can look at, uh, the first note that I put there under letter B, number one, is we should study creation to learn from God's, there are two blanks, his general revelation. In the bibliology study that the pastor uh, just got us through, the 10 billion blocks of bibliology, we learned that God has general revelation and special revelation. The general revelation is that everything he has made and everything he has given us already tells us so much about him, about his purpose, his plan, his power, right? His providence, all the things that we could alliterate P's for. <laughs> there are so many verses that cover this. I just listed four here. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run the race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And that's a powerful um, exaltation of God and all and so many things that even in there there are things we can't understand of what is actually meant about God. But it's a beautiful psalm. Also in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 and 8. Proverbs 6, 6 and 8, 6 through 8, sorry. We see where we should study the creation because it teaches us things. Um, 
here to his son, uh, Solomon, the great preacher, says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. We will see, starting next week and in subsequent lessons, how the the creation, the created, the plants, the animals, and how they continue to persist, right, as God maintains them. Their persistence and their character, the things they do and don't do, teach us lessons, right? God has provided them to teach, has provided the way that they are to teach us lessons. And all we have to do is study them, right? Even in the New Testament, Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have the word of truth. We need to divide it. But then that word, which is truth, tells us to go study some other things too. So we should study those things too. So again, I think we should study God's general revelation in his creation. Job has so many different passages about creation. Good morning. Thanks for being here. If you want to grab one of these, you have a pen? wherever you want to, but we're on this uh, here, and we're about letter B, number one. Okay, so Job has so many passages uh, that cover creation and, and look to God's power and, his, and everything that, that he has done or is doing or will do. Specifically, right now, I want to bring out Job chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? He's saying that all of creation knows that God created it, and that he's in control of it, and we're the only ones who question it. Hmm. And that's sad. <laughs> All of creation knows, but we question. Romans 1, 18 through 20. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That, that verse we're going to hit multiple times throughout this study. Men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In this first chapter of Romans, Paul is basically laying out that no one has an excuse not to believe in God. Because... His creation is the heavens, the plants, the animals, the very rocks cry out that God is God and that he, he made all of this. There is more evidence than can ever be found, than can ever be studied, that there is order, design, intelligence, that there is an absolute necessity of a creator. It's not that it could be a creator. The order and design and the magnitude of what it takes for our universe to persist exactly as it is must have an all-powerful, intelligent design behind it. 
or it could not continue the way that it does. Chance cannot, in any mathematical formula, by any stretch of the imagination, account for what we see. And that's what Paul is saying to, to the Romans. You, you're foolish to try to discount that God did all of this. So, not only should we study creation to learn from God's general revelation, number two, God has, as I said earlier, complete control over his creation. Nothing gets out of hand for God. Nothing ever surprises God. We have lots of historical passages that show us how God has complete control. Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, when uh, Joshua is leading the, uh, the, the children of Israel against the Amorites, right? And verse 12, it says, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, In the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. That's a powerful passage, but it was nothing for God to answer that and make everything just stop so that the sun stood still. In our lifetime, we have, we will, have never and will never see the sun just stand still. Right? Because that's not the way things persist. All, all we know about science says that the earth has to continue to spin. And the moon has to continue to spin as it re revolves around us. And we have to continue to revolve around the sun. And if that stops, then it affects the magnetic, you know, the geomagnetic powers and, and poles and the structure of the earth and the core and all these things that would completely fall apart if it stopped. So how did it stop? I don't know. God made it. He can make it do whatever he wants to do. Right? That's my theory. I believe the Bible. The Bible says God made it. God can control it. So, another passage that shows how God can completely control his creation is 2 Kings 20, 8 through 11. And here we look at, at King Hezekiah that, that, that asked a sign of Isaiah. And unlike Ahaz, who was asked, was asked, asked of a sign, he said, no, I won't tell God. Whatever. King Hezekiah did ask his son. Isaiah gave him two choices. He said, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or go back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. This is a sundial that shows what time of day it is. And God offered him the choice, do you want me to speed up time by ten degrees? And on, on the 360 degrees, that would be about half an hour, right? Do you want me to speed up time by half an hour or back it up by half an hour? This, this is inexplicable by evolution or by people who believe that God just sort of is a fire and forget creator, that 
he, he said, okay, I built the machine and I'm just going to let it run and I can't inter intervene anymore, right? That is not the God we have. The God we have is in complete control of every atom and every part of that atom of all of space-time. Because, as we said, in the beginning, God, that means God created time. If God created time, he exists outside of it and he can control it. And that is a reason, if you understand that, that's a reason to fear God. Because God can control time. God can control matter. God can control space. God can control the very atoms that he used to turn dirt into a man. Even into Adam. Yeah, Adam with a D, not Adam with a T. <laughs> so, that God is terrible. Not terrible in the sense of being bad, but should incite terror into those who seek to stand against him. Because by his very word, he created everything. By his power, he maintains everything. So, he also has the power. As he says, uh, forget the verse um, in the New Testament, don't fear man who once he kills you can't do anything else to you. But, I'm paraphrasing, this is from the book of Second Opinions, paraphrasing here, um, the, that after he kills you, cannot do anything else to you, but fear rather God, who can kill both the body and the soul. Right? The, your very existence can be wiped out by God. And that should make you shudder. But, that power can also be used for our good, if we obey God. Isaiah 40 verse 12, and Isaiah 40, verse 28, as we'll move a little bit faster through here. Isaiah 40, 12 is, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the water of the world in existence in the hollow of his hand. And meted out heaven with a span. That's this distance here between your thumb and your pinky. Meted out heaven. Measured all of heaven with, his, with the span of his hand. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. He knows how many grains of sand there are and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. How big is your God? Because my God's pretty big. <laughs> Isaiah's God was pretty big. Isaiah 40, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He is so far beyond us, we will never catch up. But, doesn't mean we can't try He's given us what we need to begin to understand Him and His creation. And we should try. There are other verses, Jeremiah 5.22, all of Job 38 and 39, when God responds to Job and says, where were you when I did this and this and this and this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Where were you when I did this? Why don't you go ahead and try to do this? And Job is speechless because some of those things he doesn't even know God did. <laughs> but God talks about it as if, hey, look at all this stuff I'm doing of what I've made and how I'm maintaining it. And you're going to question me? So, faith in God, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get through a couple of these points and we'll probably have to push the next till, uh, rest till next week. There's so much scripture, and this is just a few of them. Just a few of them. So, I, I, breezed, past it, pa I breezed past it. Number three was faith in God. Or number two, God has complete control of his creation. Number three, faith in God and creation is more logical than faith in chance 
and evolution. That's what number three is. Faith in God and creation is more logical than faith in chance and evolution. Uh, that's also a verse in Isaiah. It says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God wants us to reason. He wants us to use the logical mind, the critical thinking skills He has put into us. We're not supposed to use it to write Him out of existence. We're supposed to use it to prove Him, to believe Him, to trust and obey Him. There are several verses there from Psalm 33, Psalm 100, Hebrews 11, 2 Peter 3, 5. Um, there are much, much, much more than that, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and do number four, and so we'll finish uh, this section, and then we'll have two more sections to pick up on next week. Um, faith in God and His creation is more logical than faith in chance and evolution. Number four, if they are honest, no one is an atheist. An atheist claims to believe that there is no God. If they're honest, they are either a naturalist, which means that they worship nature or the creation, or they are a humanist, which means they make themselves to be God. This is a, a very large point that had, can be its own study entirely. There is a book by a man named Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort is um, a traveling evangelist, street preacher, but he has um, a, a ministry called the, the Way of the Master, and it is all apologetics. It's about people being able to evangelize to the lost uh, by knowing how to defend their faith, how to ask the right questions, how to answer the right questions. Um, obviously, like anybody, you take you eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? We don't agree with the, with all of the um, the teachings and the doctrine of, of every person that we come in contact with, but it doesn't mean that their ministry is not useful, that it can't provide some good benefit. Um, the way of the master, at he, between he, Ray Comfort, and uh, Kirk Cameron, who, used, who was an actor, got saved, and is now also in the evangelism uh, ministry with Ray Comfort, they have developed uh, lots of tracts, like the Million Dollar Tract with the Million Dollar Question. I have a couple in my uh, Bible cover if you want to see it later. But the one thing that stood out for me was a book that I saw in 2003 that Ray Comfort wrote. It's a small book, only about, it looks like the size of a pamphlet, maybe a, maybe a tract with like 10 more pages, right? And it's called God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. And that was the simple point he made, is that if people can honestly talk about what it means, what the words mean, and what their intentions and motivations of their heart are, most people who claim to be an atheist are really a humanist because to believe there is no God is to say that there is no final authority for what is right and wrong. That there is no creative power, yes, but also no final authority as we continue in our existence to find purpose. There is no final authority for right and wrong. Most people would say there has to be a right and wrong, right? If there's not a right and wrong, it's all relative chaos. If in your universe there is right and wrong, and in my universe there is not right and wrong, my actions should not have consequences, no matter what they are. But we all agree, as humans, and have throughout history, there have to be rules that we all agree to abide by. Why? Where does that come from? You can't explain it with evolution, but you can explain it with the Bible. So if you're going to say God does not exist, the God of the Bible does not exist, 
and that you believe there is no God. Okay, well, what you're really saying is you, yourself, or man in general, are the, are the final authority. Which means then you've put man above the position of God, and your idol is the mind of man. And that is admittedly, in lots of literature since the early 1900s, that is admittedly the purpose and the stance and the, the teaching of humanism, that the mind of man is the penultimate power. That if there is a God, the mind of man created him, and not the other way around. That is what humanism is. So, there are lots of verses that speak to that, how Psalm 53, 1 through 3 says, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. And we'll refer back to that verse a lot. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 16 through 19, without reading it, basically says, don't worship the creation. He said right back in the beginning of, of giving the law and everything, Moses told them, don't worship the creation. And then Romans 1, 22, 23, and 25 talks about those who profess themselves to be wise and having become fools, change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like that of corruptible man. Right? And so that professing themselves to be wise, they've been made fools. These are multiple verses, lots more stuff. We can review this next week and we'll jump through the rest of it um, after that. And then maybe in two weeks we'll get to um, what will last us for quite a while. And that's evidences with the creation itself looking around us, looking around at plants and animals and all the things that God has created to see evidence there. I don't know how long we'll be parked on that topic, but it, it could be quite a long time. So, thanks for your attention. If you have any questions afterward, I can help with uh, filling in the blanks, but we'll also be on Lesson 2.1, basically next week, uh, to get back to this. All right, let's pray we can get out there the service. Almighty God, I thank you.